Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Running on empty. That's where Naomi finds herself. Running on empty, just about to break down. Whether, wondering whether she will have enough. Wondering whether she will be enough. Of course, it wasn't always that way for Naomi. And I should tell you, this story took place about 3,000 years ago. 3,000 years ago, Naomi grew up in the town of Bethlehem, which means literally the house of bread. Sounds familiar, right? Bethlehem, I've heard about that place somewhere else too. And there, Naomi, she lived a pleasant life. That's what her name means, pleasant. And things were pleasant for her, at least at first. She got to marry her high school sweetheart, Elimelech. Oh, Elimelech, what a heartthrob. You can just imagine. <laughs> she and Elimelech get married, and they've got two strapping boys. And not only that, they've got the family farm, their property. They've got prospects. Naomi could look out ahead and imagine a, a happy life as in her dotage, she'd be surrounded by all of her grandchildren. It would just be a peaceful, pleasant life in keeping with her name. That's what she looked forward to. And for a while, she was living it. Things were good. But as things sometimes happen in our lives, suddenly it went not so good. Suddenly she starts getting snake eyes and all of her rolls of the dice. As the rain stops falling from the clouds and soon the ground stops giving forth the produce and it's a famine that sweeps the land. They try to stick it out for a little while until finally one day Elimelech has to sit Naomi down and say, listen, sis, we can't stay here anymore. I know this is home. I know that you love it, but we're going to have to go. You think back to what so many families had to do in the, the Dust Bowl and during the Depression. We're going to have to pull up stakes and leave everything that we've ever known and whatever dreams we might have about the future suddenly look a lot more cloudy. And that's how it is for Naomi. And suddenly she learns we're going to have to go. Well, what about our property? What about our future? And Ali Malik tells her, well, maybe one day we'll be able to come back, redeem the farm, get it back into our line. But as for now, we got to go. And where are we going to go to? Well, we're going to go to Moab. You've got to understand, Jews wouldn't normally be caught dead in Moab. Okay? It's like a Spartan moving to Ann Arbor. It just doesn't happen. <laughs> Or a Lutheran suddenly relocating to Vatican City. It's just not right. Moab, it was Gentile territory. It was outside of the covenant people of God. But they had heard that the property was going for a much better price over there. And anyway, it was a lot more green. And so to Moab, they go. It seemed like one thing after another just wasn't working out. But you know what? They say it doesn't matter where you are. It's all about who you're with, Right. And so, okay, we're in Moab, we had to leave our home, we had to leave our family farm, our patrimony, our inheritance, but at least, at least I've still got the love of my life, Elimelech. At least I've still got my two boys. And hey, what do you know, in Moab, they met a couple of nice Moabite girls. Not what I was praying for, Naomi thinks, you know. I was hoping it might be a Rivka or a Miriam, but instead we get a Ruth and an Orpah. What kind of names are these? Oh, well, that's fine, that's fine. At least they're out of the basement, she thinks, right? <laughs> But one day, Elimelech passes away. 
No more husband for Naomi. Oh, but at least she's got her, her two boys. But in succession, each one of them gives up the ghost as well. So that now Naomi is bereft of her husband, her sons, her home, her patrimony, her inheritance, her vision of what life was going to look like. All of that has been swept away. The bottom has been taken right out from under her. Whereas before everything had seemed full, now it is utterly empty. She wonders whether she will have enough, whether she will be enough for what awaits her. Empty. The word aptly describes the way I think a lot of us feel these days as well. Empty. Like a dead log hollowed out. Empty. At the most basic level, many of us feel empty like we're running on E when it comes to our energy. There's a reason that there is now like this huge market for five-hour energy and the energy drinks are like the fastest growing segment of all beverages. Why are people throwing these things down like crazy? We're running on E. We're feeling like we don't have the energy. We're just tapped out. But for others, it's even more acute than that. When they're running on E, it's empty cupboards and empty bank accounts. Inflation has taken its toll. I think about our little free pantry out front. And when we put that out there a couple of years ago, the thought was, hey, this will be cool. You know, you need a cup of sugar. You can come and get that from there. And I've got some extra Ritz crackers. I'll put them in there. And it'll be kind of a neighbor-to-neighbor -neighbor sort of thing. And that's still been the case to a certain extent. But I've been shocked by the extent to which it's been a lifeline for folks with empty cupboards and perhaps empty bank accounts, just scrounging, trying to get by. And maybe that's... Some of you too. Or perhaps the pain goes even deeper. It's in the words of Les Miserables, empty chairs and empty tables. As you look around and you're still grieving the loss of a parent, a child, a spouse. And you thought that the pain would have gone away by now, but still it lingers. Empty chairs. Empty tables, empty. And haunting behind all of those other emptinesses is the wondering whether we will have enough, whether we'll be enough, if we can make it running on E, or if even our hopes will be empty as well. And so there's Naomi running on empty, all of her prospects suddenly taken away. What's she going to do now? Well, she's heard that the Lord has visited his people back in their homeland, back in Bethlehem. So she thinks, all right, fine, I'm going to pull up stakes. I'm going to head west once again, even though now she's going to have to go shamefaced and empty-handed, hat in hand, going around trying to ask people for a little bit of help. Because after all, she doesn't have her husband, the one that she relied on. There was no 401k in those days. She didn't have any kind of security whatsoever. All she's got left are these two Gentile daughters-in-law, and is she really going to bring them back with her as well? I mean, that would be crazy. And so on her checklist, her punch list, as she's preparing to go back home to Bethlehem, she has to tell Orpah and Ruth, hey, listen, girls, <laughs> my womb is as empty as my cupboard, all right? There's no more boys that are coming out of here. There's no sense in you waiting around for me to give you another son who's going to grow up someday, and you can marry him. No, go Go back to your own homes, to your own moms. Leave me be. 
Orpah at first needs a little bit persuading, but then she's like, yeah, you know what? This is crazy. I'm out of here. But Ruth, Ruth will not be persuaded. Naomi insists, but Ruth persists. She's like a stubborn label that you just can't quite seem to get off. She says, no, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God till death do us part. So Naomi says, all right, sister, if that's what you insist on, then so be it. But as the story unfolds, it turns out that Ruth is not just some nice company for Naomi, but she is something much more than that. Ruth becomes Naomi's rescuer. See, through her, God is able to restore, restore to Naomi the land that she had lost. He's able to replenish the stores, all of her empty cupboards. And even more than that, she is able to redeem for Naomi her inheritance, her hopes, her prospects come back. They don't look like what she thought they were going to look like. And that's so often God's way. And yet even so, all of those things that had been empty now through Ruth, God is filling up once again as Ruth herself becomes the agent of rescue for Naomi. It's more than she could have ever possibly thought or hoped or dreamed for, not after all of the hits that she had taken, not after all of the emptiness that she had experienced, but through Ruth, God restored tenfold. And much more than that, much more than that, in a way that Naomi didn't even realize. Because you see, Naomi's distant descendant, her great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson, would be another baby born in Bethlehem, the greater Ruth, our Lord Jesus. See, Christ Jesus comes from the line of Naomi and Ruth. And not only that, but Ruth herself is a kind of a foreshadowing, a picture of what Christ Jesus is for you and for me. See, Jesus is the one who weds himself to us, who claims us for himself and says, through thick and thin, you are mine. Nothing is going to separate you from my love. I'm going to stick to you. We say, no, Lord, get away from me like Peter did. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus says, nope, not going to work. I'm sticking with you. Semper Fi, always faithful. That's our Savior, right? He is the one who, when we are faithless, he remains faithful, the Scripture says, because he cannot, will not deny himself. He is our greater Ruth who acts sacrificially through dauntless, diehard devotion in order not only to claim us, but to hold us, to keep us in his arms and through him to redeem for us our future, our hope, giving to us prospects, not just in this life, but in the life to come. The transformation is so utterly astounding that in Christ Jesus, we who were empty have been made full. That he has turned our, our despair into hope, our fragility into security. He's made our emptiness into his fullness. And in him now we have and we are enough. So author, a guy by the name of Gregory Boyle, and he's a man who ministers to people whom the world looks at and says, no, don't want to have anything to do with these folks. 
He ministers to the, the marginalized, to the impoverished, to the homeless, people living on the city streets, especially young men. And uh, Greg tells a story. One day, he's out driving around with one of these young men, a guy by the name of Jojo. Jojo doesn't have a, a driver's license, and so Greg's got a totem here and there and everywhere. And Jojo's riding shotgun, and at one point, Greg looks down in his dash, and he says to Jojo, oh, look out for a, a gas station. We need one. Jojo's a little dubious, and he looks over at the dash. He says, no, you're, you're fine. And Greg says to him, what do, you, what do you mean we're fine? We're on E. What do you think E stands for? And Jojo says to him, well, I thought it stood for enough. And what about F, he says? Finished? <laughs> but suddenly Greg realizes that this is precisely what Christ Jesus came to do. That you and I look in the mirror and we look at ourselves and we say, empty. But Jesus looks at you and he says, no, enough. And when we feel like we're finished, like our life is finished, our hopes are finished. He gives to us from all of his fullness, grace upon grace. Listen, there's no promise that in this life, in the face of all of the emptiness and all the struggles that we endure, that we just, we turn to Jesus and he just makes everything okay. That everything is just gonna be fine. It's not his promise. But his promise is this that in the midst of all of our emptiness, He is enough. He is the fullness that we have received and He has given us the promise of prospects, not merely in this life, but in the life to come. So friends, when you feel like you are running on E, know that in Christ Jesus, that's a good place to be because in Him, E means enough. Amen. And may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand for prayer.